I don't know. It's been a really long time since I put out a podcast. Podcast, man, I just can't speak today. It's just me, Cam, today. It's been since, what, last October, maybe November since the last podcast? It's been a while, I know. Hopefully, though, uh, me and Courtney and maybe somebody else, who knows, will start being a little bit more regular. We don't really have, I don't have a set schedule for this. I'm really just kind of putting these out whenever I feel like it. <clears throat> and it's Friday at around lunchtime. Courtney's not here. I thought I'd just make a quick one, so she'll be included on the next one probably for sure. We'll definitely be coming out with a podcast to preview the upcoming football season uh, in August, definitely, so be on the lookout for that. We might have one or two come out uh, towards the end of this month, maybe in July. Um, It's really going to be kind of a dead period then, though, so probably more than likely the next podcast will be in August to preview the uh, the upcoming football season for college football. So, excited for that. <clears throat> There's a lot going on right now in sports. Got the NBA Finals. Game four is tonight. Toronto has a 2-1 series lead on the Warriors. Talk a little bit more about that um, later on uh, in the show. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of you probably don't know, but the, maybe some of you know, the uh, college baseball, NCAA college baseball tournament is going on right now. They are in the Super Regionals. There's one game being played right now, Louisville against East Carolina. Louisville's winning 4 nothing. if anybody's interested. I'll talk a little bit about that, try to make some um, predictions on the Super Regionals itself, on who's going to go to Omaha. We'll kind of break down a little bit of the LSU-Florida State Super Regional, which I'm super excited about, and I'm sure everybody is just as excited as I am. Probably not. But that's okay. I'm going to talk about it anyways, and you're going to listen to me talk about it. Or you can just stop listening and be a jerk. That's fine, too. Anyways, got that going on. Got uh, some rule changes. Um, That's going into effect for both basketball and football this coming up season. So we'll kind of go over those rule changes. And hey, SEC football media days is a little less or a little over a month away. Starts July 15th. That's a Monday here in Hoover. Back in Hoover this year after a year in Atlanta last year, they had it held at uh, the College Football Hall of Fame last year, which I thought was a really cool venue for that. Um, and a lot easier probably for a lot of fans to go to that of other teams besides just the two Alabama teams of Alabama-Auburn who can easily get to Hoover. <clears throat> Whereas freaking Atlanta's huge. Everybody goes to Atlanta. Why not have it in Atlanta? But it's going back to Hoover this year, and it starts July 15th. So football season is getting dang close, people, and I'm super excited about this year. So, um... We'll actually start with talking about some of the rule changes in football. There's only four going into effect this year. And really, (coughs) excuse me, I just have a cough. Really, there's only two of these that you're really going to notice this year. um, Just because the other two, one of which you'll probably hardly ever see. 
the other one is basically is being banned, so you'll never see that or really notice it anyways. Um, that's it's called. But um, the first one has to do with the targeting penalty. And there's been a lot of talk in the national media um, and local sports media, if you listen to sports media at all, about the targeting rule and how it's being called, how inconsistently it's being called, and all of that. I mean, just look at the Devin White rule and against Mississippi State. That was absolutely awful. <clears throat> and I'm not going to get triggered by it. I promised myself I wouldn't. Um, but, yeah, so there's just been a lot of inconsistency. So with that, the NCAA tried to make or make a little change to the rule to make it kind of a more all-or-nothing type call, basically. And uh, I'm going to read the uh, quote about uh, the rule here. So I'll read it, um, quote, Instant replay officials will be directed to examine all aspects of the play and confirm the targeting foul when all elements of targeting are present. If any, <clears throat> excuse me, if any element of targeting cannot be confirmed, the replay, the replay official will overturn the targeting foul. There will not be an option for letting the call on the field stand during a targeting review. It must either be confirmed or overturned. Games using the halftime video review procedure will continue to use the current process. <clears throat> not really sure exactly what that part means, but basically, whenever. So, if you're not really aware of this, then you must be living under a freaking rock, or you just don't watch college football. And if that's the case, I don't know why you listen to this podcast. Maybe just because you like me, or Mason, whenever he's here. Or maybe just because you like Courtney, which is probably, you know, the best chance of why you're actually listening to this, because you like Courtney. But, anyways, in any review process, uh, basically, uh, there's three different types of languages, or three different types of words or language that officials use whenever they come back from review on what the call is. First one is, the call is overturned. So whatever the call on the field was is overturned and is changed. There is call confirmed where they look up replay and they're able to confirm that the call on the field was absolutely right. There's no <clears throat> like guess or anything about it. It was absolutely confirmed by video replay. The third is the call stands, which means eh, there's not really enough video evidence to overturn it. But there's also not enough video evidence to make sure that it is an act, the actual right or confirmed call. So we're just going to go with the call on the field. That option is no longer available for this targeting rule. It must be confirmed or it's going to be overturned. If you cannot confirm the call on the field of targeting with all of... The uh, <clears throat> all the elements of targeting in place after looking at the full play and not even just a snippet. They're not just going to be looking at a snippet of the actual hit. They're going to be looking at the full play with all the aspects of the play involved, making sure that they confirm that call. And if they can't confirm it, then it has to be overturned. You can't just leave it, which I think is a really good idea. The only thing that I can think of that might kind of hurt is it just might mean that these review processes for targeting are going to take a lot longer. That's really the kind of downside that I see is that these calls, 
these reviews are going to take longer. Reviews already take sometimes long enough when it shouldn't take as long or you don't think it should take as long when it's obvious or whatever. <clears throat> and it takes a lot longer. But now since you have where you can't let just the call stand, you have to confirm it or you overturn it, then these reviews might get a little lengthy. And we already know that referees are trigger happy on throwing their flags on the targeting rule in general. So we'll have to keep an eye on how long these reviews are. In my personal opinion, even on just the general review process in general, is that if it takes two minutes, five minutes, two and a half, five minutes or so, for you to overturn a call or make a call, like just make a call there, like it shouldn't take that long. <clears throat> like replay's job should be to overturn obvious calls. If this is, if if a review, if you review a play, and it's like, okay, I can't tell. If this guy's pinky touched it last, or if this guy's pinky touched it last, or if it barely rubbed on the skin of this player, or if it barely touched this guy's shoelace, like, like crazy stuff like that. Like, you see a lot of reviews that happen when, like, it's completely impossible for the normal eye to see that, for normal referees to see what actually happened. And you're overturning calls that, like, are, like, very, very fine line. And it takes these replay officials five minutes for them to actually make these calls. It shouldn't take this long. If you can't decide what the call is, or if you can't decide to overturn it and say there is absolute video evidence that this ball touched this guy's sock and went out of bounds, or this guy's knee touched this blade of grass with the ball two inches from the goal line, when you really can't even tell, when it takes you five minutes for you to actually make a call there, like, you have two, in my opinion, you should have two minutes. You have a clock at two minutes, and you have to make a call by then. Now, there's a difference between, okay, you made up the call, and then you're trying to figure out what the clock should be, where the chain should be. That, that's different, okay? Like, I understand why it might take a little longer just trying to figure out all those, but if you can't make a call, if you can't overturn a call in two minutes, there's no point in keep going. It's not obvious. It's not obvious anymore. You are looking way too much into the play, and two minutes is enough for you to be able to make a call or not. That's my personal opinion. Now with this over and and you have the option on all these other replays besides the targeting rule of letting the play stand. So let the play freaking stand, man. If you can't make a decision in two minutes, a lot of these catches, you know, they they look. Oh, I'm just I'm gonna go off more. But yeah, a lot of these catches that they review, man, they take like five minutes to review these things, and they still can't make up their mind. And they take five minutes, and they say the play stands. Why couldn't you say the play stands three minutes ago so we can actually keep playing the game? Like, these reviews are taking way too long. And it's even kind of coming to basketball, too, um, and just replay in general. I think baseball has the quickest review process, at least in NCAA baseball, that I've been able to see since I've been watching a good bit of it. They, I mean, they're pretty dang quick, and, for, like, they're pretty dang close to the umpires being right most of the time, which is really, really good. 
the only thing about baseball is just, you know, the strike zone, but that's just human element. That's part of the game. And I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, even if I do get angry at the umpires, but man, the review processes have to get shorter. The only thing about this targeting rule or updated targeting rule that I don't like is that, Hey, it could make these review processes longer, which then people are going to get mad uh, about that. Um, another kind of addition in addition to the targeting rule is that if, uh, a single player commits three targeting fouls, in a single season, they are automatically suspended one game. I don't know how often that really happens. I really don't pay attention to how many times a single player gets a targeting rule throughout the season. I don't know how prevalent that is. I guess we'll find out this year. It's probably more prevalent whenever the targeting rule first went into effect because the referees were just awful with that. But, yeah, if a player commits three targeting fouls in a single season they are suspended automatically one game so we'll see how that impacts um moving forward again i don't know how prevalent how prevalent that really is so all right next rule change for college football is they made a little tweak to the overtime rules and you can say that this is also a response to the lsu AM game this past year of the seven overtime game that was absolutely ridiculous <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. So um, the uh, the tweak to the overtime is that once a game reaches the fifth over, so you know how um, you know in college overtime everybody starts from the twenty five yard line. You score a touchdown, you can get a field goal. Um, once it gets to the third overtime, if you score a touchdown, you have to go for two. So it kind of changes the rules after two. To, once it gets to the fifth overtime, you'll no longer start at the 25-yard line. You get one play, and you're basically running a two-point play. So the ball is going to be at the three-yard line. You get one play to try and score. So it's just two-point plays after the fifth overtime. Um, just for player safety, I guess, which I, which I get. Um, honestly, what I wish they would do is I wish they would push back the where you would start with the ball when you start overtime, I think the 25 is way too close. You're already in field goal range for like 99% of football programs out there that actually have a field goal kicker. Just just push it back 10 yards. Push it back to the 35. So like teams actually have to like move the ball to be able to be in field goal range. Because right now, like they can literally take like three knees and kick a field goal and win. So that's my personal opinion, but yeah, so two-point plays once it gets to the fifth overtime. I don't know how often you're ever going to see this. It's not very often that overtimes get to five. Usually once it gets to three, it ends after that because of the two-point play rule where you have to go for two after a touchdown. That's usually when it ends, honestly. Um, If not then, then, then the fourth. But not very often, very, very rarely do you see overtimes get to five, six, seven, so um, the game will go clicker once it gets to overtime number five, but I don't know how often you're really going to see that. So um, there's the change there. Um, two other penalty or uh, rule changes or additions, um, and this is going to be this one that I'm about to say is going to be probably one that you might see a little bit more this year. This one, the targeting rule, the two that you're really probably going to see. Um, they're adding a 15 yard penalty for forcible contact on blind side blocks. Um, so they're trying to really get rid of pretty much all blindside blocks. And if you don't know what a blindside block is, YouTube it, and you'll see 
probably tons of compilation videos of what blind side blocks are, and it's freaking amazing. Um, but yeah, they're adding a 15-yard penalty for um, for a forcible contact on blind side blocks. So you'll probably see that a good bit um, this year. <clears throat> and then the last rule addition or change is they uh, approved the elimination of the two-man wedge formation on all kickoffs. And if you don't know what that is, basically um, on kickoff returns, uh, guys that are trying to block, you got two people, and they're basically forming a wedge themselves in between them and the ball carrier, so you can no longer do that. There used to be like a three-man wedge that they just like um, eliminated uh, years ago, but they're eliminating the two-man wedge this time. So... <clears throat> That's all the uh, all the rule changes for uh, football this year. Um, so yeah, what, <clears throat> excuse me, I am losing my uh, thoughts here. Yeah, the targeting rule I think will be big, especially to see how long those reviews are. And again, I think the uh, the other thing that you'll you'll really see is that forcible contact rule that'll go into effect. Um, so. Next, we are going to go to uh, the basketball rule changes, NCAA basketball rule changes that came out um, late, or no, it came out probably earlier this um, this month. Um, what was it, two days ago maybe? Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so two new uh, changes here to uh, college basketball. They're moving the three-point line back to the international line. Um, so it's being moved back a little bit further, um, and then they're also adding a rule on how the shot clock is reset, uh, after an offensive rebound. So, um, on the shot clock after an offensive rebound, the shot clock would reset back to 30. Instead of that, they're taking 10 seconds off, and now it only resets to 20. So, uh, that should, uh, <clears throat> help improve the pace of play, um, and help, the defense out a little bit. So I think that's a good rule change there. And the three-point line, I think, will help with kind of spacing everything. Um, both of these rules, if you watched the um, the NIT this past year, they actually implemented both of those rules to the NIT. And I feel like they implemented the three-point line the year before and then in the uh, NIT as well. <clears throat> so um, the NIT, if you don't know, is just a, a, the – tournament step below the NCAA tournament is for teams that were on the bubble of the NCAA tournament that didn't get in. They get to play in the NIT and, and stuff like that. Um, they do a lot of like rule tests in that. I know last year they tested out doing, instead of doing two halves, they did four quarters. I know they were looking at possibly making that change because the only basketball game that only does halves now is men's college basketball because women's college basketball does four quarters <clears throat> so they tested that out but yeah the NIT is uh, <coughs> Russell what are you doing <coughs> that's just thunder chill out <coughs> Russell Russell Shh. you're fine Russell makes an appearance on the show <clears throat> anyways um <coughs> goodness dog sorry about that y'all um, but yeah, so, um, where was I? Oh yeah, so the NIT really is kind of, they use the NIT, Russell, hush, I will put you up. I'm sorry about this, guys. 
Hush. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> Anyways, yeah, the NIT has been used as kind of like uh, testing rules out that they are looking at implementing. And so uh, the coaches and teams that were part of this year's a test of the three-point line and the shot clock really liked it. The three-point line, I think, is going to help offense with the dribble drive, getting spacing. It's going to make the defense be spread out a little bit more. But I also think it'll kind of help with um, basically teams being able to just to rely on the three-point ball to win games because it being moved back because there there's been a lot of that the past couple years, as you can see with Auburn, which isn't a bad thing. But, man, like, if all you're good at is shooting threes and that's all you can do, like, you can win a game. It doesn't matter if you're good at defense. It doesn't matter if you can get in the paint and win there. Like, you can shoot threes better than anybody else. You're going to win. And I, I just don't like that kind of basketball. Like, it's cool to see if you're really good at shooting threes. But if that's all you shoot, then, I mean, that's kind of why I'm not super into the NBA because that's kind of what it's turned into. But my, my personal opinion. But I don't know how much it would really affect that anyways. But... Um, yeah, so that, and then um, the shot clock, I think, will help with pace of play. So I think that, that's, uh, that's that's really cool. I think I like both of those uh, changes to college basketball. I think those will really kind of help with pace of play and spacing. Um, so kind of excited for that. So um, next we have um, NCAA ba- baseball tournament. It's going on right now, and you probably didn't even know about it. But, hey, it is. It's Super Regionals. If you don't know how – the formatting of the baseball tournament works is that there's really kind of four rounds, I guess you could say. You have the regionals, super regionals, college world series, and then the college world series final. So regional, you have, it's basically a four-team tournament. There's 16 regional sites, uh, four teams in each, and at each regional site, it's a double elimination tournament. <clears throat> So um, how it kind of works is you rank teams from, you have national seeds from 1 to 16. 1 to 16, okay? So each one of those 16 teams gets to host their their regional. So for instance, uh, Georgia was the number four overall seed. They got to host a regional, so they had three other teams and them play at their ballpark. So they host that, that regional. Um, <clears throat> the top eight seeds have advantage over the uh, lower over seeds 9 through 16 to where so <clears throat> they match up the, uh, the regional seeds from the top national seeds from 1 to 16. So 1 is paired with 16, 2 is with 15, and so forth. So the top eight also get home field advantage if they win their regional they also get to host a super regional <clears throat> so that's kind of how that works so regional is a four game double elimination tournament or four team double elimination tournament winner of that advances to the super regionals once you get to the super regionals you're paired up uh, based on the regional sites the national seed regional sites <coughs> and that's a best of three series um the winner of that best of three moves on to the College World Series in Omaha. And so a um, total of eight teams get in. So you got two brackets, and that's also a double elimination tournament. Okay. The two teams that survive those two double elimination tournaments in Omaha, you 
know, one side of the bracket and the other side of the bracket, the winner of those two, then play a best-of-three series in the College World Series final. So that's how the tournament works. So um, here is what we got. We got, um, right now, game is currently playing East Carolina and Louisville. Louisville is hosting today. I think they're currently winning 4 to nothing. I think it's on commercial right now. Um, yeah, they're winning 4 to nothing, top the fifth. I really like Louisville. They both kind of str- struggled in their regionals, but they ended up winning. <coughs> you got uh, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech also played today on Friday at 2 o'clock on ESPN2. Um, I like Texas Tech. I think they're going to win that super. Um, you have Vanderbilt and Duke uh, tonight at 5. Um, I saw a graphic earlier today, or it, it might have been yesterday, that um, this year's Vanderbilt team is the only team in SEC baseball history to beat every single team in the SEC at least once. They played LSU once, and that was only in the tournament, and they destroyed us because we didn't have any pitching left. But, yeah, they beat every team. That's really impressive. Uh, they've had a really, really good year this year, <clears throat> and I like them beating Duke to get to Omaha. Um, and then the last game today uh, <clears throat> is UCLA in Michigan. Um, I really like UCLA. They've had a really good good year this year. I think they've only lost like 10 or 11 games. So they've had a really strong year. They have really good pitching, really good hitting. <clears throat> we'll see how they do uh, in Omaha if they get there. But first they have to go through Michigan. Auburn made uh, the Super Regional. They won uh, the Atlanta Regional against Georgia Tech, who hosted. And, man, <clears throat> they have had a hard, hard year. Um, going into the Super Regional, of course, as a lot of you know, the voice of Auburn Athletics uh, died tragically in a car accident. Um, so that happened, and I know, you know, there's there's been a lot of kind of mourning over there. And even before that, there were, some, like, one or two officers shot and killed in Auburn. So they've had a really tough time <clears throat> just as, like, a community. But just as the, for this Auburn baseball team this year, they've had injuries to their pitching. There was a time this year where their top three starting pitchers were all out, like, injured and didn't play. And they somehow still made it to be a two seed in the NCAA tournament, and then they ended up winning the uh, the regional in Atlanta to face North Carolina in super. <clears throat> so, I think it's been a really successful year for them, all things considered. Uh, they've had a really good year. They made it a super regional last year as well. So, uh, Bush Thompson doing a really good job there in Auburn. Next regional <clears throat> is Miss Ole Miss and Arkansas. Uh, two really good teams. Ole Miss has gotten really hot. They got really hot in the uh, SEC tournament, um, made it all the way to the tournament championship, only to lose in a walk-off fashion to Vanderbilt. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, guys. Um, Arkansas is just a really good team. They have really good offensive power. They have a really good starting pitching. Um, I like Arkansas on that one, but Ole Miss has had a really hot run. They've been really hot lately, so uh, watch out for them. Mississippi State and Stanford, Jake Mangum from Mississippi State, all-time SEC hits leader. He's going for the NCAA record. I don't know what the record currently is. I haven't been able to find it, but I know he's. I don't know how close he is either. <clears throat> but he is the all-time SEC 
hits record in a career. So he's been fire all four years. Um, not a lot of power, but man, if you can get on base like all the time, like I don't, you don't need it. You have other people in your lineup to get home runs and to get you in. So just get on base, steal bases, score. And Mississippi State has a lot of firepower on offense. They have the SEC, the SEC pitcher of the year, and Ethan Small, who has ridiculous strikeout numbers. Um, he's a really good pitcher. They also have a really good number two as well. Um, I can't remember his name though. <clears throat> but yeah, they have a really good team. They play Stanford in their regional. Uh, they're hosting in Starkville, Mississippi State. Um, so I really like uh, I, li- I like Mississippi State in that one. And then the one that I'm really going to be talking about is, of course, LSU and Florida State. Um, LSU was the number 13 seed, national seed. So they were paired up with the four seed, uh, Georgia. Um, <clears throat> and Florida State wrecked Georgia. They wrecked that regional. They scored... 35 runs in three games. And for those of you that don't know, Georgia has one of the best pitching staffs in the nation. Their number one and number two starters are going to be the number, are probably going to be the a top five pick next year and the year after. Like, they're that good. They are very good pitching staff, very good defensively. The only knock on Georgia this year has been they don't have the greatest offense. They don't score a ton of runs. But you really didn't need to when you had starting pitching and a pitching staff like you had and great defense behind them. But Florida State just went off. They had tons of home runs um, in Athens, and they went wrecked through Georgia. They just swept it through, won three games, and, and they won um, 35 runs total. Um, if you don't know Florida State's coach, Mike Martin, this is his final year. He is the all-time winningest coach in college baseball history. He's coached at Florida State for 40 years, and all 40 years they have made the NCAA tournament, which is very, very impressive. Along with that, they've made it to Omaha 16 times. 16. That's that's a lot. <laughs> um, he's never won it. Uh, he's never won the national championship. He's never gone to Omaha and actually won the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> just as a comparison between sports, that way for those that aren't super familiar with college baseball and the postseason and like what's really an accomplishment, what's not an accomplishment, and everything like that, just kind of, I'll, I'll compare it to the basketball tournament in March Madness. Ninety, I would say ninety-nine percent of schools, maybe ninety if you want to lowball it. Consider it an ultimate success just to make it to the Final Four. You make it to the Final Four, you've had an amazing season. Even the Blue Bloods like Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, um, those teams, like, their goal is to make the Final Four. Of course, like, everybody everybody wants to win the national championship. Like, there's no denying that. But you make the Final Four, you lose, like, you know, yeah, sucks. We lost in the Final Four. But, hey, we made the Final Four. Like, that's what everybody aims for. In college baseball, everybody aims just to get to Omaha, just to make it to the College World Series, to be one of those last eight teams. And to win the whole thing in college baseball, to win in Omaha, to win the whole thing, you have to be really fortunate. You really do. You have to have things go your way, and your pitching has got to be stellar. It's got to. Especially nowadays. Whenever... They were back in Rosenblatt years ago. 
you might could win just with offense. Now at TD, Ameritrade, like, it's it's a pitcher's park. It's a pitcher's game. You have really good pitching, you're going to win. You have to be in the winner's bracket. It's really hard to win the whole thing in the loser's bracket. It's possible. It's happened. Um, but, yeah, just getting a dome haul is a thing. He's been there 16 times, just never won it. He's been in the championship game, uh, like, two, three times. Uh, before, it used to be just a winner-take-all game for the championship, and then they changed it to uh, best-of-three series. But, yeah, he's he's been there two or three times. He's just never been able to win it. But, yeah, legendary coach could be his last. He could be coaching his last games in Baton Rouge. Both teams are super hot coming in. LSU hasn't lost to, has only lost – like two games in the past three weeks, which is really impressive. Um, and yeah, I'm just super excited. I think <clears throat> I really like LSU's chances, but man, Florida State does kind of scare me because they were red hot against a really, really good Georgia team, a really good pitching staff. It, like, if it would have been a thing where they beat Georgia. And like close long scoring games, like three to two, four to six, I don't know, like some, some, something low like that, where they didn't score a lot of runs, but they kept Georgia from scoring a lot of runs, um, like a two to nothing or a three to two game, four to two game, like something like that, low scoring wins, like I'll be fine. I'll be like, okay, like, hey, they just had a really good weekend. We have really good pitching as well. Our bats are hot. I like our chances. They scored 35 runs. They scored 22 alone on Georgia. I mean, I guess that pitching staff is really impressive. So it's going to be a fantastic series. Um, Game one's going to be on ESPN on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon. Um, Game two will be on ESPN two. And if we get to a game three, it'll be on Monday on ESPN uh, that night. So super excited about that. Um, you guys should, uh, definitely tune in. If it's not to that one, like, dude, if you like baseball, it's, it's going to be a good weekend. So, uh, games all day, uh, starting at probably around 11 o'clock, uh, central time, <clears throat> uh, starting today, Friday, all the way, probably till Monday, um, you'll have baseball. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, last but not least, of course, the NBA finals. Toronto's up. Two to one. Chad, shout out to Chad Mullet. How you feeling right now, bro? You're probably confident, as is most Golden State Warrior fans. <clears throat> and and you know, I don't blame you. Like, you you didn't have Clay Thompson. You haven't had Kevin Durant all series. You haven't had Kevin Durant since the Houston series. Um, but man, like <clears throat> Kevin Durant has been ruled out for Game Four. Um, but Clay Thompson uh, is likely going to start and play uh, tonight, which they really need because the Warriors, with only Steph and Draymond, is not going to win you anything. Even with Steph scoring like fifty points, it's not going to happen. Your team is not that good without your stars, which I think everybody knew. <clears throat> um. But just nobody expected Clay Thompson to go down and for Durant to be out as long as he is. But um, yeah, so Clay Thompson's back tonight. Tonight, in my personal opinion, 
is a must win for the Warriors. No matter if Kevin Durant comes back the next game or, or anything, they have to win tonight. And there's a there's this thing in the national media of oh hey like it whenever Kevin Durant is fully back and you know they have their full power of KD, Clay Thompson, Steph, and Draymond like they're just gonna win three games in a row. It's gonna be no big deal. It's easy, you know, no doubt about it. You hear that from Stephen A. Smith, um, just anybody at ESPN, like you hear that, you get that sentiment. I don't know, man. Like, this Toronto team is, like, sneaky good, man. you got really good defenders like Kawhi Leonard, Fred Van Vliet. Cal Lowry is, is pretty good defensively. If Serge Ibaka plays as well as he did and blocks six shots again like he did in Game 3, like... Whenever he was younger with the Thunder, like if he's he if he's that Serge Ibaka, you better watch out. You also got Marcus All. Like this is good, and Danny Green, who's one of the best defenders in the league, and can shoot lights out whenever he's on. Like I remember whenever he was with the Spurs and um, played the Heat in the finals, and he literally made like every single three point shot he wanted to shoot. Like he made them all that series. It was ridiculous. <clears throat> but um. Yeah, man, like, this is a good team that can defend. And, yeah, I know KD is one of the best of the world. I know they gave up, like, 50 to Steph, but, like, they shut everybody else down. Steph couldn't beat him by himself. They knew that. So, like, man, personally, I, like, the Warriors don't have any room for air now. If, especially if they lose tonight. <coughs> I'm sorry. Um, because, like, the Warriors have played, what, five or six games since Durant's been hurt? And Steph has been the lead guy. Whereas before, really kind of KD was the lead guy. They played a little bit more ISO. I mean, I watched some of the games in the playoffs. Um, I'm not super into NBA, but, uh, you know, that that's just what I've noticed personally. And I might be wrong there, but, you know, what are you going to do when KD comes back offensively? You're going to keep, like, you can't just keep rolling with Steph being the lead guy and doing what you've been doing when KD's out there. KD wants his touches, and he deserves his touches. He's probably one of the, he's either number one or number two player in the world right now. So, like, they have to figure it out in-game on how they're going to play this game. And then you add to the fact Kawhi Leonard can shut somebody down. You have Danny Green, who's a really good defender. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, who has played really good defense on Steph, except, you know, the other night when nobody played good defense against Steph. Kyle, Kyle Lowry. Lowry. I can't say his name for whatever reason. Um, it's a pretty decent defender, and if Serge Ibaka can keep playing like he has, then, like, watch out, because I'm telling you, if Toronto wins tonight, I personally think no matter what, they win the series in five or in six. If it gets to game seven, personally, if I think the series gets to seven, that the Warriors will probably win the series. 
Because by then, you would assume that it would be KD's, like, third game back, um, and they should be good to go, and they should be fine and be hitting on all cylinders. (coughs) Golly. Sorry. Um, But, yeah. So, um, if it gets to seven, I like the Warriors. But if Toronto wins tonight, they're winning in five or six. Like, that, that's, that's my opinion. If they win tonight, then they have a really good chance of winning in five. <clears throat> if they don't win in five after winning tonight, and again, assuming they do win tonight, if they don't win in a five, then they have a dogfight and they have to do everything they can to win the series on the road at Golden State in game six. Because, yes, I do know they have home court advantage uh, game seven, but, man, like... <clears throat> And I, w- I mean, I was just talking about how, like, man, like, don't underestimate the defense of Toronto being able to go up against KD, Steph, um, and Clay Thompson. But, like, you're just playing with fire if you get it to seven. So, um, I really like Toronto's chances. They ha- Golden State has to win tonight. If Golden State wins tonight, then they have a really good chance now winning the series once it's tied 2-2. Um, <clears throat> we go back to Toronto game five and they're hoping that KD is back. <clears throat> so um, we'll just have to see. But they have to win tonight, so we'll see what happens. But um, thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, <clears throat> I know it's been a super long time. Again, probably the next podcast will be in August, I would assume, because really nothing happens in sports. That's really <clears throat> That really matters. And people want to talk about once it gets to J- July. Um, so it's really waiting till August, till football season. So we'll have a podcast come out, me and Courtney, and maybe somebody else. So if somebody else wants to do a preview with us, um, in August for a college football preview. So be looking for that. I appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys tuning in and hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Great weekend and uh, see you guys next time.